0: Play by play on the radio. Play by play. Deep the knobs out back for Jaco. Back, 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 back. He makes a one-handed catch against the bullpen.
1: Whoa, Doctor. Whoa, Doctor, this is baseball and the Lone Star with St. Mary's play-by-play broadcaster,
0: Rob Shadow. Welcome Lone Star Conference baseball watchers. Rob Shadow here. Thanks for joining us for Episode 3 of Baseball and Lone Star Conference for the week of February 19, 2024. NCAA Division I baseball got underway last weekend, and all Major League teams have reported to spring training camp. After three rounds of round-robin play in the Lone Star Conference, we have a great show lined up for you. We have interviews with the Lone Star Conference Pitcher of the Week, Jacob Rayfield of St. Edwards, and the Hitter of the Week, Garrett Brooks of St. Mary's. A conversation with Matt Vanderberg of now nationally ranked 10-2 and 2 West Texas A&M. A salute to the hit-by-pitch featuring a first-hand account of Bryce Harper as an 8-year-old in Las Vegas, showing up his big brother and brother Brian's 10-12-year-old to 12-year-old Little League teammates. A look at the Lone Star Conference leaderboard. Baseball birthday shout-outs to Hall of Fame shortstop Alan Trammell and Hall of Fame manager Sparky Anderson. A look at the national polls. And finally, a preview of the matchups coming up in Weekend 4 of Lone Star Conference play. This podcast is an independent production and not an official communication of either St. Mary's Athletics or the Lone Star Conference. Although this podcast is supported by both organizations, the views expressed and any mistakes made are solely my own. I hope you'll give us a listen and let me know if you like our programming and send me any notes for other things you'd like to hear. You can reach me at robbyshadow at gmail.com, all lowercase, R-O-B-B-Y, S-H-A-D-O-W at gmail.com. So put on your batting helmet before you step into the batter's box and get ready for the first pitch of Episode 3 of Baseball in the Lone Star Conference. In Weekend 3 of Lone Star Conference play, Texas A&M International showed that a series sweep can turn your season around, moving from 2-6 and six on the year to 6-6 six and six after taking four in a row from still-winless Cameron in Lawton, Oklahoma. Arkansas-Fort Smith remained in first place, taking three out of four at home from St. Mary's. 19th-ranked West Texas A&M continued their impressive start, defeating St. Edwards three out of four. Permian Basin showed they are for real, splitting their series at home with Angelo State, and the Falcons are tied with the Rams for third place in the conference with a record of 8-4. and four. Texas A&M Kingsville righted their ship by winning three of four on the road from eastern New Mexico. And in the last conference matchup of the weekend, Lubbock Christian and UT Tyler split their series 2-2 two to two in Tyler. The Dust Devils of Texas A&M International were road warriors last weekend in their sweep of Cameron, outscoring the Aggies by a combined tally of 49-24. In their 8-3 Game 1 win, Week 2 Lone Star Conference Pitcher of the Week, Isaac Ponce of Portland, Texas, was terrific again, yielding only one hit and one run in five innings pitched, getting his second win of the season. Ponce has allowed only seven hits in 16 innings and has an earned run average of just 1.69. In TMI's Game 2 win, the Dust Devils overcame a Cameron 4-run first inning for the 12-4 victory. Junior third baseman A.B.M. Medina from Ponce, Puerto Rico, led the attack with four RBIs. On the season, he leads the Dust Devils with a 435 batting average of 1,298 on-base plus slugging percentage, with three home runs and 20 runs driven in. In the 9-7 Game 3 win, Tammy scored two runs on pass balls in the ninth. R.J. Patrick pitched two and one-third innings of scoreless relief with five strikeouts to get the win. In the Sunday 20-10 finale, catcher Antonio Buenteo, a math major working for his teaching certification, had three hits and four RBIs. West Texas A&M continued their strong play, defeating St. Edwards three out of four, 5-3, 2-1, 0-10, and 7-5. In the Game 1 win, Buffalo ace Nick Marshall secured his 20th career victory and first of the season, hurling six and a third innings, yielding just two hits and two runs, while striking out eight. He showed he was in midseason form by throwing a total of 110 pitches. Junior catcher Kyle Miklas of Waller, Texas, got his second walk-off of the season in the 2-1 victory in Game 2. San Ed's came back to win Game 3 10-0 behind a seven-inning complete game shutout by junior Jacob Rayfield of San Antonio, who was named Lone Star Conference Pitcher of the Week for Week 3. In the Game 4 series-clinching 7-5 victory for the Buffaloes on Sunday, junior outfielder Zach Betancourt from Leveland, Texas, provided the drama with a walk-off three-run home run. On the series, Buffalo relief pitcher Douglas Rojas, a senior from Valencia, Venezuela, factored in all three victories, getting two wins and a save, allowing only one hit and no runs in two and two-thirds high-leverage innings while striking out five. Angelo State and UT Permian Basin split their series in Odessa. In the 11-8 Ram victory in Game 1, shortstop Justin Harris scored the winning run in the 11th inning and had four RBIs on the day. Preseason Pitcher of the Year Braxton Pearson did not get the decision but was strong again, going six innings, giving up just three hits and one run, while walking one and fanning six. Game 2 was a 24-7 Ram drubbing. Third baseman Conager Sands of Bakersfield, California led the 20-hit attack with four hits and seven RBIs. The Falcons got in the win column in Game 3, 4-3, behind starter Isaias Espiritu Santo of Providence, Rhode Island, who struck out eight in five and one-third innings of work. UTPB held on 6-5 to five to gain the series split on Sunday. Brock Roberts, a junior from Temecula, California, notched his fourth save of the season, getting the last two outs with a potential game-winning run on base for the Rams. First-place Arkansas Fort Smith took down St. Mary's three out of four at home and was just one strike away from a series sweep. But with two outs in the seventh inning of Game 3, Rattler senior shortstop Jake Elizondo of San Antonio hit a two-RBI single to give St. Mary's a 3-2 to lead. And sophomore Garrett Brooks of Spring Branch, Texas hit a three-run home run for the final 6-2 margin. For his Heroics of the Week, four home runs, 13 RBIs, Garrett Brooks is your Lone Star Conference Hitter of the Week for Week 3. Junior left-hander Grant Shankle of Van Buren, Arkansas pitched five strong innings, giving up only one run and striking out six in the 10-5 Game 1 victory for the Lions. In the Game 2 10-3 win, the Lions got another strong start, this time from junior right-hander Braden Ross of Charleston, Arkansas, who went five innings, giving up five hits and two runs. In the Sunday 12-5 victory, the Lions were led by junior third baseman Matt Schilling, who cranked out a triple, a home run, another hit, and five RBIs. Schilling also makes a style statement with a great-looking Raleigh Fingers 1970s-era handlebar mustache. Look for it at a baseball diamond near you. Texas A&M Kingsville defeated Eastern New Mexico three games to one in Portales, even after getting bludgeoned thirteen to one by the Greyhounds in Game one, behind junior right hander Gavin Perry of Benita, California, who went six innings allowing just three hits and one run. The Havalinas turned things around in Game two, winning seven to six. Senior outfielder Jake Chapman of Bernie, Texas, hit the game winning RBI double in the seventh. In the sixteen to six Game Three win, Chapman, Garrett Thompson, and Ramsey Amador each had three hits for the Havalinas. Chapman was again the offensive star in the Game 4 14-8 win, going a perfect 5-for-5 five five with four RBIs. In Tyler last weekend, UTT and Lubbock Christian split, Tyler winning the first two and Lubbock Christian the last two. Pitching dominated the weekend, with Lubbock Christian outscoring UT Tyler by only 14-13 runs overall. UT Tyler won Game 1 5-4 on a walk-off walk. Junior Miles Clack of Katy, Texas got his third win of the season for the Patriots. In Game 2, a 3-2 win. Junior Ryan Marquardt of Atasca, Texas, gave up only three hits and one run in six innings to turn things around for the Chaparrells, gaining the 3-1 win in the nightcap of the Saturday doubleheader. The Chaperels secured the series split on Sunday with a 5-4 win, powered by four hits and two RBIs from Junior Shay Bowen of Tumwater, Washington. So after 3 rounds of Lone Star Conference round robin play, Arkansas-Fort Smith remains in first place with a record of 7 and 1, followed by nationally ranked West Texas A&M at 10 and 2, 19th in the country, tied for third Angelo State and UT Permian Basin at 8 and 4, alone in fifth place Lubbock Christian at 7 and 5, a three-way tie for sixth place at 6 and 6, two-way tie, make that. Oh, three-way uh, between UT Tyler, Texas A&M, and St. Edward's, actually four and four, but also with a 500 record, tied for ninth at five and seven. Texas A&M Kingsville and Eastern New Mexico, St. Mary's in eleventh at four and eight, Oklahoma Christian twelfth at two and six, and Cameron still looking for their first win at a bagel for twelve. Next up, a salute to the hit batsman. Getting hit by a pitch is one of the most underappreciated contributions a batter can make to his team offensively. After all, the purpose of hitting is to hit the ball, not to be hit by the pitch. But in many situations, a hit by pitch is as good as a walk is as good as a hit. So we should more greatly appreciate those baseball batters who take one for the team. In the first weekend of NCAA Division I play on Friday, February 16, as reported by MLB.com, a player from Sacramento State accomplished a rare feat in a doubleheader against Loyola Marymount of Los Angeles. Matt Masciangelo, a junior outfielder from Huntington Beach, California, playing in his first regular game for Sacramento State, was hit seven separate times in the doubleheader in eight plate appearances. Ouch times seven. When Masciangello was asked for his explanation for how this happened, he was only hit once in 30 plate appearances in 2023. He said this, quote, Baseball's a game full of surprises, and this one was for the books. As fate would have it, I consistently found my way to first base without swinging the bat. I always approached the plate with a plan to drive the ball, but it didn't work out that way tonight. I'm just glad I was able to get on base and give my team a chance to score runs. When asked which one of the seven hurt the worst, Masciangelo said, quote, Each one had its own charm. But the one that caught me off guard and was the most painful was the final HBP. It's one thing to anticipate a pitch coming your way, but it's another to be surprised by the velocity and location. The final HBP got me pretty good in the shin, but I'll shake it off. End of quote. Spoken like an old-school gamer, Matt Massiangelo, Matt was hit one more time in Game 3 of the series and sports an on-base average of 692 and two runs batted in without a base hit. That's a total of eight hit-by-pitches in his first 13 plate appearances of 2024. So how does one learn the courage and the technique to take one for the team via the hit-by-pitch? Time for this week's baseball bedtime story involving none other than Bryce Harper as an 8-year-old. First, a disclaimer. I did not personally witness this baseball practice on the Little League fields of Las Vegas, Nevada, But my cousin Andy, a most reliable source, even though he is a Los Angeles Dodgers fan, was there as an assistant coach of the Little League team. Andy's son Alex was a player on the Little League team. Stop, you might be saying to yourself. Eight-year-olds don't play Little League baseball. That competition is reserved for 10- to 12-year-olds. You would be correct in this observation. This was not Bryce Harper's team. It was his older brother Brian's team, a team of 10- to 12-year-olds, many three full years older than Bryce. Brian Harper, his older brother, also went on to have a professional baseball career, pitching 7 years in the Washington Nationals organization and getting as high as AAA. This particular little league baseball team in Las Vegas was coached by Bryce and Brian's father, Ron Harper. Ron had a well-deserved re- reputation as an intense little league dad who coached his sons hard. He was a tough guy who made his living as an ironworker, but Ron had a problem and he was very frustrated. His 10- to 12-year-olds were afraid to take the hit by pitch. When the ball came inside, they either ducked, jumped out of the way, or fell to the dirt. Some of them even cried. So Ron ran a drill at practice, showing his players how to turn in towards the pitch to take the hit in the shoulder, upper arm, or back. My cousin Andy was throwing batting practice during the drill. The 10- to 12-year-olds, including older brother Brian Harper, kept moving out of the way, refusing to absorb the punishment of the hard ball. Child after child shied away from the baseball thrown inside, and Ron Harper was not pleased. Finally, completely exasperated, Ron Harper called to his younger 8-year-old son Bryce, who often came to practice, Bryce, show them how it's done. My cousin Andy is an excellent athlete in his own right, but a kind and gentle soul. He was not throwing full steam to the 10- to 12-year-olds and certainly didn't want to hurt an 8-year-old. Andy continued throwing pitches inside, maybe at half speed, and Bryce continued to turn into them. Plunk plunk, plunk. But Ron Harper wanted the real game conditions. Throw it harder, he barked at Andy. Harder. Sorry, said Andy. I just can't do it. I I mean, he's eight years old. So Bryce Harper's dad, Ron, took the mound himself and proceeded to throw fastballs inside to the eight-year-old. Faster and faster, they whizzed inside the batter's box. And with every pitch, little Bryce turned his shoulder into the pitch. Plunk, plunk, plunk. Alas, The 10- to 12-year-olds never caught on, even after this demonstration by little Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, not afraid of a baseball, even when he was 8 years old. I think you might rightly conclude that Bryce Harper was born to be a great baseball player, and he appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was only 16, and made his Major League debut and won the Rookie of the Year when he was 19. The cherry on top of this bedtime story actually has a bedtime component. On a couple of occasions, Bryce spent the night at Andy and Alex's house. He didn't wear pajamas to bed. He wore his baseball uniform and even refused to take his cleats off. His mom, Sherilyn, tried to tell little Bryce that the other kids would make fun of him if he wore his baseball uniform to bed, but Bryce Harper didn't care. He was a baseball player. Time for a baseball birthday. Our first baseball birthday shout-out this week is for Detroit Tigers Hall of Fame shortstop Alan Trammell, born February 21, 1958, in Garden Grove, California. Trammell made his Major League debut for the Tigers at age 19 on September 9, 1977, and had a 20-year Major League career with 185 lifetime home runs, a triple-slash line of 281-352-417, to go along with four gold gloves from the shortstop position. He was the World Series MVP in 1984 on a dominant Detroit Tigers team that won their first 35 out of 40 games and went on to win 104 in the regular season and defeat Tony Gwynn and the San Diego Padres four games to one in the World Series. Trammell's best year was 1987 when he batted 343, hit 34 doubles, 28 home runs, and drove in 105 runs. He also stole 21 bases getting caught only twice and finished second in the MVP race to Toronto's George Bell. For the longest run in Major League history, Trammel was part of the same double play combination with second baseman Sweet Lou Whitaker. Living up to his nickname, Whitaker did something really sweet immediately after Trammell's last game. He gave Allen the second base bag with this inscription, To Allen Trammell, 1987 MVP, from your friend, Lou Whitaker. Happy birthday, number 66, Alan Trammell. The Lone Star Conference Pitcher of the Week, Jacob Rayfield, a junior right-hander from St. Edward's, is our next guest. Jacob was brilliant against one of the better teams in the country last weekend, the West Texas A&M Buffaloes. Jacob pitched a seven-inning complete game shutout, giving up only five singles, walking just two, and striking out six. He also leads the conference with a microscopic earned run average of 0. 0.75. Jacob, congratulations on the well-deserved award, and welcome to Baseball and the Lone Star Podcast.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you uh, having me on here.
0: Looking at your three appearances so far this year, you pitched very well in your first outing against Texas a and Kingsville in three innings struggled a little bit against Colorado State University Pueblo, and then everything seemed to come together for you against one of the best teams in the country, 19th-ranked West Texas A&M. What was different for you in the outing last weekend that allowed you to pitch so well?
1: Uh, I think the biggest point of emphasis going into the week, especially from, from my pitching coach, was just landing my breaking stuff for strikes. You know, in my first start, I had, had five walks, as you saw, and that was just mainly, you know, getting behind in counts, being able to land my slider curveball for strikes, and, uh, you know, facing West Texas, you know, both of those pitches were, were landing. It was, it was good for me to be able to get the hitters off balance. That was the biggest thing, just, just not walking
0: people. During warmups against west texas nm did you feel like uh, your pitches were really landing over the plate with a breaking ball and you were going to have a good outing uh
1: it wasn't so much my pitching repertoire more so my my attitude i felt really like unnaturally calm before that start in west texas you know i just had a lot of confidence and just felt like things were going to go my way and ended up happening
0: what's your basic pitch arsenal and what do you consider to be your best pitch so I have a fastball, sinker, slider,
1: curve, and then a change-up I'll throw every now and then. The biggest thing for me this year has really been that been that sinker. Just being able to keep hitters off balance, you know, uh, bust them inside, getting them to roll over get weak ground balls when I need them. I think that's been really, really vital to me, along with my curveball being kind of my strikeout pitch.
0: What was it about St. Edwards which led to your decision to become a Hilltopper this year?
1: Well, I mean, first off, you know, that academics are, are hard to beat. Before I came here, you know, my parents were telling me about, you know, alumni they know, and people that have come here and, and have loved it. So after my playing days are over, you know, a St. Edward's degree, that's hard to beat. And then also, you know, being in Austin, close enough to San Antonio where, where my family can come watch me play, that was def- definitely another plus. And, you know, after coming here and settling in with the team, getting to know the coaches, I'm really happy that I made that decision.
0: What's the most fun or rewarding part of pitching for St. Edwards for you?
1: Just wanting to be successful for the guys behind me, for my teammates. Every time I'm up there, you know, I have to remind myself that my whole team is behind, the whole St. Edwards community is behind me, and they trust me to be on that mound. So, you know, wearing the Hilltoppers across my chest, it's, it's a great honor. and You know, I take a lot of responsibility with it.
0: Do you have any career aspirations or dreams after baseball? Uh, After
1: baseball, I plan on going to law school, hopefully becoming a lawyer, and I'll figure all that out when I get there. But that's my plan for right now.
0: Who's your favorite Major League Baseball pitcher?
1: Max Schrozer, for sure. He's a psycho up there on the mound. He has such a presence that keeps hitters off balance. And You know, I can only hope to have the presence that he has up there. What about a favorite baseball movie? definitely trouble with the curve. You know, I'm a big, big underdog story guy. So, you know, the ending of that movie and whole movie in general is definitely, definitely one of my favorite baseballs.
0: Jacob Rayfield, thanks for joining the program. Congratulations on a fantastic weekend. Good luck going forward.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: My special guest today is head coach Matt Vanderberg of the West Texas A&M over 600, I believe, career wins, win-loss percentage of greater than 630 NCAA appearances, three Lone Star Conference championships. Buffalo's off to a great start, 10-2 this year. Congratulations on the hot start, and welcome to the podcast, coach.
2: Thank you very much. Appreciate everything.
0: You have players on your roster from British Columbia, Venezuela, Germany, the Netherlands, And Puerto Rico, how do you account for the international composition of the Buffaloes?
2: You know, it's just one of those things where we don't care where you're from. Obviously, we try to hit Texas as hard as we can, but we've got a lot of contacts all across the country, all across the world. And it's something where even when I was the head coach at Clarendon College for, uh, you know, I was head coach there for three years and assistant for two years. We had a lot of guys from Australia, Puerto Rico, Canada, all over the world and everything. Uh, we like good players here at WT. You know, and, you know, we'll, we'll take them from wherever. You know, we, we're on the phone constantly. My assistants do a phenomenal job of getting out there and making phone calls and trying to find the best players that fit the mold that we like to have here at WT.
0: Well, have you had to sit down with your athletic director and con- convinced uh, your AD that uh, you should go to Europe or Venezuela
2: or Hawaii to recruit some of these players? You know, honestly, I would like to, but um, (laughs) it's one of those things now that I've got two young kids, I'll be honest, you know, the game of college athletics has changed so much. There's so much video now out there with Synergy, all the Twitter stuff, the Instagram, everything. You can get a lot of your information and not even leave your office. So I tell my assistants, man, it's completely different. And that's changed in the last three to five years, to be honest. So we really, where we used to get on the road a ton. Now, we never traveled out of country to see some of these guys. It was just mainly just scouts that we talked to and cross-checkers and all that kind of stuff. But we would get on the road a ton and go to Arizona and California and Texas, all around Texas and everything. But And now we'll still get on the road recruiting a little bit to see – guys that are close by but for the most part we do most of our recruiting from the offices and looking at videos and then if we need to bring guys in and have them work out and you know in the fall or in the summer and stuff then then we'll do that as well but for the most part it's all through video now.
0: What are the best reasons that you offer to high school players and transfers for why they should come to West Texas A&M and play baseball?
2: West Texas A&M is just an unbelievable university. It really is. We have a great administration. You know, the campus is gorgeous. And then our entire athletic department here wins and wins big. I mean, you look at teams just in the rankings right now. I think our men's basketball team is number one team in the country. Our softball team is number two in the country. I think we're a top 25 team. Both of our track teams are nationally ranked in the top five, everybody wins and wins big here. And it's just, you're going to get a great education out of it. Limited cost wise, you're not going to get yourself in debt a whole bunch. And again, we're going to win championships. And that's what we sell to the players that we recruit is that what we believe in is graduating student athletes and winning championships. And we've done a lot of that on the baseball side of things. Obviously we want to win that national championship.
0: Looks like the five top guys out of your bullpen have been absolutely outstanding by my rough count in 33 innings pitch. They've only given up five earned runs led by Miller. Who's got two saves and a win hasn't given up an earned run in eight innings with three walks and 10 strikeouts. Any of those guys surprises or were you kind of expecting to have such a deep bullpen this year?
2: Yeah, that is something that uh, we've talked about ever since the end of last year is that we, we knew we had to get better on the pitching side of things that is what I felt like our strength has been all year, and we talked about it. Listen, just find a way to keep us in the games. We want to keep games really low-scoring, close ball games, if at all possible. Obviously, we'd like to score a lot of runs. The way our offense is set up, our pitching set up, we're we're going to play in a lot of really close ball games, and where we feel like we can win games is late. You know, our bullpen is really good. I mean, Reese Miller probably. If not our top guy, he may be, you know, obviously Nick Marshall is one of the best arms, I believe, in all of Division Two. but Reese is right behind him. Listen, it's one of those things where we're fortunate that we have enough really good starters that we can use Reese on the back end of things. I mean, he was offered by the Atlanta Braves a free agent opportunity late in the summer and turned that down to oh, come wow. back here. Uh, he's really good. You know, his fastball, he can run it up to 94, but the slider is his pitch. I mean, it, that slider is electric. I mean, it's a big league pitch. You know, it's great to have him on the back end. But then guys like uh, Matt Whitney, Douglas Rojas has been phenomenal early on and everything. And then Ty, I never know how to say his last name. He gets mad at me all the time. I just call him Ty. I tired. can't say it either. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a it's a tough one to say. But, you know, we've been good in the bullpen. Hopefully, knock on wood, that they'll continue to come in and get big outs for us because, You know, it helps our starters knowing that they don't have to go as deep into games and hopefully they can be fresher later on in the year.
0: Last question. Uh, Major League Baseball has pretty much abandoned the sacrifice bunt in the kind of money ball era. But uh, even though Lone Star Conference is a much higher run scoring environment, we see a lot of sacrifice bunts still in the conference. Two-part question. What's your feeling about using the sacrifice bunt for the Buffaloes? And why do you think it's still so commonly used in the Lone Star?
2: Number one, I love it. Um, and that is the one thing we've kind of gone back to. And You see it with us a lot this year. We've already sacrificed, bonded a, a lot. We'll drag bunt, we'll push bunt, we'll do stuff like that. I think it's great. I um, mean, you see, I mean, listen, Angelo State, even last year, they were phenomenal at what they do. They, they bunt, they run, they hit and run, they put pressure on you nonstop. Um, You see that all the time, and they won a national championship out of it. I believe it's like a pendulum, even in the major league. I believe it'll come back. I hope it'll come back Mm -hmm. because I like the game of baseball better when there's not just you're relying solely on a three-run home run. Um, You know, you see it in the major league. I mean, it's either a strikeout or a home run. I'm not a fan of that kind of baseball. That is something that, you know, honestly, the last two years, we were more that way. We didn't sack bunt. As much just because, man, our team was so offensive, it doesn't make sense to sack Bunt. some of the guys that are hitting over 400, the Beckers and all that kind of stuff. And and we lost a sense of who we were and everything. I feel like we're kind of back to where we can be more successful and win more ways. And we force our guys. I mean, there's been years that we literally – would not let our guys in our inner squads or anything else unless they got a certain amount of bunts down. And if they didn't get that down, then during the entire inner squad, they were in the cages bunting that entire two or three hours, you know? So we, we put a high emphasis on it. As far as being in the Lone Star Athletic Conference, you are seeing probably more of it just because the pitching is really good in this conference. I mean, it is a phenomenal conference. I counted, you know, in the fall, we had 18 guys, that were 90 plus at one point in time in the fall, which is unheard of. I mean, you look at it five years ago, even, you know, three to five years ago. No, I mean, you would have two to four guys that would touch 90, pitch in the 90, stuff like that. But it's crazy. We're redshirting guys that are 88 to 91 nowadays. So the pitching's so good. It really is that you have to be able to manufacture runs and not just rely on home runs. So, and I think you're seeing that in the conference a little bit more. I mean, Angelo's always got really good arms. Kingsville's typically really good on the mound as well and everything. But now you're seeing these other teams. I mean, UT Permian Basin is, you know, that co- coach there in his second year has done a phenomenal job They're I think they just split with Angelo this past weekend. Every weekend is a dogfight, and you see so many one- and two-run games in this conference that you have. That's what we preach to our guys all the time is you have to be able to win those one- and two-run ballgames. And the way you do that is being able to execute, being able to move a runner over from second to third with less than two outs or nobody out, or scoring a run from third base with less than two outs. I mean, you have to execute those things, and 90 feet is crucial. You can't have the pass balls. You can't have the stolen bases. You can't have the errors. All those things are what loses the one-run game. And I think we can I mean, typically every year, I mean, we play roughly 15 to 20 one-run games, and you need to win those.
0: Matt Vandenberg, uh, thanks for much your time, and congratulations on the very hot start.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Let me add an apology and a shout-out to the Buffalo's stellar relief pitcher, Ty Petlongsey. Ty, if I butchered the pronunciation of your name in Episode 2, I apologize. Mr. Petlongsey has had a great start to his 2024 season, seven appearances in the first 12 games with two wins, one save, and an earned run average of 2.79. In nine and two-thirds innings pitched, he has struck out 11 hitters. Ty is a junior from Amarillo, who also played shortstop in high school. Well done, Ty. And thanks to the Buffalo's Director of Athletic Communications, Brent Seals, for setting me straight on that pronunciation. With three weekends of play in the books, for the first time this year, we will take a look at the individual leaderboards in Lone Star Conference Baseball. Let's start with that unsung category of hit batsmen after our salute earlier to Sacramento State's Matt Massiangelo and the Philadelphia Phillies' Bryce Harper. Leading in plunks so far this year is Weston Valachek of Angelo State with nine. Second in the Hurt category, Austin Hall of UT Permian Basin and Willie Ponce of UT Tyler, both with six hit-by-pitches. Tied for third in the conference with five plunks are four players, Lane Hutchinson of UT Tyler, Justin Harris of Angelo State, Elijah Batista of West Texas A&M, and Ryan Camacho, also of West Texas. Interesting side note, outfielder Ryan Camacho has an identical twin brother, Hovan, or Jovan, who also plays for the Buffaloes. Ryan is listed at 5'9", 195 pounds, and Jovan at 5'9", 190. I wonder if Ryan was born first. Ryan has started all 12 games for West Texas this year and leads the team in batting average at .421. Jovan has battled an injury and is yet to make his 2024 debut. The much more conventional t- statistic, which I believe is the best summary of offensive value, on-base plus slugging percentage. The most dangerous hitter in the conference through three weeks is Trip Clark of Angelo State, who was hitter of the week in week two. He now has an OPS of 1,401, followed by Nico Patrick of Arkansas-Fort Smith at 1,378, then Austin Hall of Permian Basin at 1,320. Fourth best is Abiam Medina of Texas A&M International at 1,298. And then another Fort Smith player, Michael Brinton, is fifth at 1,289. Stolen base leaders. Mason Hamlin of UT Permian Basin has eight thefts. Jack Haggerty, also a Falcon, right behind with seven. Mr. Do-It-All, Tripp Clark of Angelo State with seven steals. Preseason pick for hitter of the year, Angelo State's Jacob Guerrero with six steals, and Araben Gutierrez of Texas A&M International has five steals so far this year. Pitching leaders. Earned run average, Jacob Rayfield of St. Edwards, this week's Lone Star Conference Pitcher of the Week, a stingy ERA of just 0.75. The second-best ERA belongs to Riley Lowry of Arkansas Fort Smith at one-run flat, followed by Maddox Hoagland of West Texas A&M at 1.29, Another Fort Smith hurler, Luke Davenport, at 1.64. And Week 2 Pitcher of the Week, Isaac Ponce of Texas A&M International, is 5th best at 1.69. Braden Ross of Arkansas Fort Smith, 6th at 1.80. And Preseason Lone Star Conference pick for Pitcher of the Year, Braxton Pearson of Angelo State, 7th best at 2.29. For a lot of reasons, many baseball followers, including yours truly, do not believe ERA is the best measure of pitching performance, however. It's flawed in a lot of ways. Two things I don't like about it are just that one bad outing can inflate a pitcher's ERA for weeks. A second problem is that while it accounts for errors in the field, it otherwise does not account for excellent defense, plays which normally are not made, and those will not show up in the ERA statistic. A far better barometer of pitching performance, at least in my opinion, is whip, walks and hits given up per innings pitched. I don't have those statistics at hand, however. In the game of baseball, the law of averages usually will catch up with you. If a pitcher consistently puts runners on base, some of them are eventually going to score. In Major League Baseball, a whip under 1.3 is generally considered better than average. In the higher run scoring environment of the Lone Star Conference, a whip under 1.60 is probably a better barometer. Strikeout leaders through three weeks. Braxton Pearson of Angelo State tops the leaderboard with 24 Ks, even though his head coach Kevin Brooks told us that he's more of a pitch-to-contact guy rather than a strikeout guy, but he certainly gets his share. Dax Dath of Angelo State is second with 21 fans, and Nick Marshall of West Texas A&M has 20 strikeouts. Three Texas A&M international pitchers are fourth, fifth, and sixth, respectively. Cody Templeton with 19 Jan Cabrera with 18, and Isaac Ponce with 17. Save leaders. Brock Roberts of UT Permian Basin has four saves. Garrett Arredondo of UT Tyler, Reese Miller of West Texas A&M, and R.J. Patrick of Texas A&M International each have two saves so far this season. Collectively in the Lone Star Conference, which team has been the best offensively? Forget batting average. It's all about scoring runs. Angelo State has plated 122 runs, UT Permian Basin second with 102 runs scored, 100 Dust Devils have crossed the plate so far this year, and Arkansas Fort Smith in only 8 games is averaging better than 10 runs a contest with 83 runs scored. On the pitching and defense side, Arkansas Fort Smith is far ahead of the pack, allowing only 28 runs so far this year, an average of 3.5 runs per game. St. Edwards, with two Pitcher of the Week awards, has allowed 49 runs in 11 ballgames, and Angelo State has allowed 51 runs in 12. West Texas A&M leads the conference in earned run average at 3.28 for the pitching staff as a whole. A birthday interlude. Our second baseball birthday shout-out this week is to the man who managed that 1984 World Series champion Detroit Tiger team, but who was better known as the manager of the Big Red Machine, George Lee Sparky Anderson, born February 22, 1934, in Bridgewater, South Dakota, died 2010 at age 76, elected to the Hall of Fame in 2000. For his managerial career, Anderson is 6th all-time with 2,194 wins against 1,834 losses. He was given the nickname Sparky by a baseball broadcaster in 1955, when he played in the Texas League for the Fort Worth Cats. As a player, Sparky Anderson played only one season in the big leagues, batting .218 for the 1959 Philadelphia Phillies. Anderson managed the Cincinnati Reds between 1970 and 1978, winning six divisional titles, four National League pennants, and two World Series championships back-to-back in 1975 and 1976. He was the very first major league manager to win a World Series title in both leagues. Of course, he was just joined by Bruce Bochy, who won three for the Giants in 2010, 12, and 14, and just won again with the Texas Rangers last fall in 2023. The Big Red Machine featured the great starting eight, which included three Hall of Famers, catcher Johnny Bench, first baseman Tony Perez, and second baseman Joe Morgan. The other five were shortstop Davey Concepcion, Third baseman Pete Rose, whose statistics certainly are Hall of Fame worthy, if not his behavior. Left fielder George Foster, center fielder Cesar Geronimo, and right fielder Ken Griffey Sr. Happy birthday and rest in peace Sparky Anderson, who would have been 90 years old this week. My guest is St. Mary's sophomore outfielder Garrett Brooks from Smithson Valley High School. This week's Lone Star Conference Hitter of the Week, with four home runs and 13 runs battered in, including a decisive Grand Slam Tuesday night versus Our Lady of the Lake and a game-changing three-run home run Saturday afternoon to break the University of Arkansas Fort Smith Lions' six-game season-opening winning streak. Congratulations, Garrett, and welcome to Baseball on the Lone Star podcast. Thank you very much. I'm super excited to be on here. Well, let me see if I can uh, play a clip for you and, and get your comment on Drive to right field. That one could be. It is a grand salami. Garrett Brooks has cleared the bases. Wow. What a turnaround for the Rattlers. No doubt about it. Right fielder Allison barely turned. Have you ever hit a grand slam before,
3: Garrett? I believe that is my first career Grand Slam, actually.
0: You hit the scoreboard, and I understand that you didn't realize you actually hit the scoreboard in right center field until you got to the dugout. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I, I didn't realize. I didn't watch it all the way, but it was pretty cool.
0: Did you know off the bat that it was a home run? I mean, you hit the ball very well, no question. Yeah, off the bat, I had a pretty good idea
3: that it was going out. I hit it pretty well. It was kind of one of those ones that you didn't really feel off the bat.
0: Now, you weren't that much of a home run hitter in high school, but you have had a great start to the 2024 season. You're among the conference leaders in both home runs and RBIs. Have you done anything to change your approach? Have you gotten stronger? Uh, Any explanation for all the power so far this year? Uh, Yeah,
3: I mean, I think strength is a big part of it. I worked hard in the fall and over the Christmas break to put on a little bit of uh, weight. I'm a little bit heavier than I was, put on some more muscle and I think that's a big part of it. But approach wise, I still kind of like to think of myself as like the same kind of hitter because I've always kind of throughout my whole career, I've always kind of hit to the backside and hit doubles in the gaps. And if I get one out, it goes out. But I think strength has definitely played a role in that and just kind of keeping my same approach. And if I catch one right, then it's able to carry out of the stadium.
0: You were also an outstanding football player in high school, Smithson Valley, a well-recognized program statewide. Did you consider playing college football? Or was baseball always your favorite first sport? I knew, I knew early on that
3: baseball was what I wanted to do. But, I mean, kind of towards the end of my football career, I was thought it could be a possibility because I was playing pretty well. But I ended up getting hurt my senior year. And after that, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to stick to baseball for sure and focus on this. I've been waiting kind of my whole life to be able to just focus on baseball.
0: Why is it that you made the decision to come to St. Mary's this year to continue your baseball career?
3: They reached out to me in the portal pretty early. I think they were the first school or one of the first schools to reach out to me, like send me an offer. And I kind of held on to it for a while just to see what else I would get. And I just felt like it was the right place. It was close to home. And bunch of my good buddies were coming here. Some guys I grew up playing baseball with and kind of talked to them. And we're like, let's go do something and play with all my good friends and try and do something special at San Mary." So that was that was a big factor of it. And the coaches also, they played a big role in that. I just felt like it was the right place for me.
0: you come from quite an athletic family. Your dad played divisional in tennis at UT Arlington. And your grandfather was both a football player and a college baseball player. Do you have any memories of baseball with your grandfather? Oh uh, yeah, I
3: mean, he was really the one who uh kind of just cuz we were super alike. He's left-handed, left-handed thrower, left-handed hitter. He kind of was like a role model for me a little bit. Him and um his name's Mike Moffat. He's not my blood grandfather, but he's basically my grandfather as well. Both of them really inspired me to pursue baseball. And they had a big role in it.
0: Your favorite major league baseball player is Bryce Harper. Why is that?
3: Uh I mean, I've just being a left-handed hitter, I always like to swing, and I kind of like the, the swagger that he plays with. He's super competitive. Uh, I just like the way he plays.
0: Well, Garrett Brooks, congratulations on being Lone Star Conference Hitter of the Week, a fantastic showing, and good luck against Oklahoma Christian. Sir, thank you. Division one of NCAA just got underway this past weekend. Let's take a look at the NCAA Power 10. First in the country, Wake Forest 3-0. and Second, defending national champion LSU. A Texas team, TCU is third. Oregon State at undefeated 3-0 is fourth. Arkansas is fifth at 2-1. Florida is sixth after losing their only game to St. John's. The others were canceled by bad weather last weekend. Vanderbilt seventh at 2-1. Texas A&M eighth at 3-0. Tennessee ninth at 1-1. And Duke is 10th in the country. We do not have yet as of this recording the updated national rankings in division 2. So instead I'll give you the regional rankings for the South Central region as of February 19th which does include games played in weekend 3. Number 1 in the South Central West Texas A&M at 10 and 2. Number 2 Colorado Mesa, number 3 Angelo State at 8 and 4, number 4 UT Permian Basin also at 8 and 4. Number five, Colorado State University Pueblo at 5-2, which just defeated St. Edwards two games to nil in a non-conference series last weekend. Number six, Arkansas Fort Smith getting some attention at 7-1. Seventh, Lubbock Christian at 7-5. Eighth, UT Tyler at 6-6. Ninth, still getting respect, St. Edwards at 4-6 overall, 4-4 in Lone Star Conference play, and rounding out the top ten in the South Central region, Regis University at 5-5. Five and five. For upcoming weekend four of Lone Star Conference play, we have another full slate of six matchups between 12 of the 13 teams in the conference. The odd man out this coming weekend is 10-2 and two, West Texas A&M, ranked number 19th nationally as of February 14th, but before their impressive three out of four triumph over St. Edward's last weekend. They will host Drury for two non-conference games at home. When I spoke to Matt Vanderberger about these games, he said his message to his team was that they could make the difference for whether they get into the NCAA tournament or host a regional, so he is planning to use his best starting pitchers and is also playing an opponent he expects will finish over 500 for the year. These are not exhibition games at all for West Texas A&M. A tough road matchup for UT Tyler if they want to break out of their 500 at 6-6. they travel to San Angelo to take on the 8 and 4 defending national champion Rams. First place scorching hot Arkansas Fort Smith at 7 and 1 travels to Lubbock to battle with the 7 and 5 Chaparrels. Texas A&M International, who swept their series against Cameron last weekend to even their record overall at 6 and 6, will host the UT Permian Basin Falcons who are tied for third place with Angelo State at 8 and 4. St. Mary's at 4-8 hosts 2-6 Oklahoma Christian in San Antonio, and the final matchup of the weekend is between the 5-7 Javelinas and the 0-12 Cameron Aggies in Kingsville. That will be a wrap for Episode 3 of Baseball in the Lone Star Conference. Thanks to executive producer Zach Ramirez, and thank you for listening. May all of your sliders dot the outside corner, and may all of your baseball dreams be pleasant ones. Play by play on the radio. Play by play. Deep to the left side. Back for Jan Fito. Back, 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 He makes a one handed catch against the bullpen.